and welcome to Shut Up and please, for the love of everything good and holy, don't play in the CBI and just end this season. No, it's Shut Up and Jimmer. Hi, this is Steve Pierce, your co-host, joined, as always, by my indubitable and talented and golden-haired co-host, Robert F. McCombs the 23rd. Robert, how are you today? Minute, Steve. We just we we're saying that this podcast kind of mirrored BYU basketball season. I mean, we started a little slow, then we really picked up steam in the middle of the year. You know, things were looking good, and you know, we kind of tailed off a little bit at the end of the year, much like the BYU basketball team. But you know, we're here. I, it'll be therapeutic in some ways to kind of just let off some steam for this BYU season that was the worst BYU season in about twelve years, and then talk about how about the future of the BYU basketball team the bleakness of it so it'll be good and I guess before we move along I want to welcome once again Phil Hyatt to the podcast Phil's done tremendous work for us um, throughout the season so how are you Phil welcome once again to the show hey thanks it's great to be back Um, I'm also upset about BYU basketball ending but my beloved North Carolina Tiger Heels got number one seed so I'll definitely be tuning into college basketball for another month. So, yeah. Well, if I had a dump button, I would have dumped you right there, <laughs> Phil, for this blatant North Carolina homerism. Uh, I don't like it, and uh, it's if, if they play U- if they play Utah State, I'll cheer for them or Utah State, but. I'll definitely be cheering for the UW Huskies, the local team, in that first round. I will be cheering for Sam Merrill to have a successful game because I like him and I wish BYU would have recruited him. But yeah. Otherwise, I'll root for everybody else on both teams to be unsuccessful in that game. Guys, yes. I'm, I'd just like to apologize that I'm the only one here who's also a fan of a good basketball team. Yeah, Ouch. well... I wow. mean, that's... intern extraordinaire Phil Hyatt bringing the, bring the spice. <laughs> yeah, bring in the spice, Phil. Um, I will say that my wife is also incredibly happy that this BYU basketball season is over. And if I'm being real, I kind of am too, because it was pretty rough out there, guys. Pretty rough. But for the, we're gonna do this kind of similar to how we do most podcasts. Most of the time, we're doing we talk about kind of what was good in that week's games, what was bad in that week's game, kind of where does where does it leave us. We're gonna just pull back the lens and do that for the entire season. Just kind of our last episode of this year, you know, thank you to everyone who listened. It's been great. Um, And thank you to God in particular for this being over. Um, (laughs) But uh, we're going to pull back the lens and just kind of share our final thoughts about what was good this season, what was not good this season, which I think will be a longer discussion. And then, but I think most of the time we want to talk about kind of where where this leaves us uh, as BYU basketball fans. Where does this leave the program, and where do we go from here? Because I think that's the big question. Uh, but let's dive in. Let's start with the positive. We always like to start with the positive. Robert, tell me what, if anything, was good. There were some good things. What was good this year? I think the number one thing is BYU beat Utah and BYU beat Utah State. Um, and a Utah State was good. Yeah, I think, I mean, Utah State coming into the season, they were picked to finish ninth in the conference. But I mean, that game, like McKay Cannon, to kind of shut down Sam Merrill, which I mean, you mentioned BYU didn't offer Sam Merrill a scholarship out of high school, which he'd been nice. Seems to, like a mistake in hindsight. A little, little bit of a mistake. Um, and then they had Queda, the Portugal guy who's going to, who could bolt and go to the NBA after he could be one and done. So, I mean, that was, I mean, BYU just, 
they took it to Utah State that game. So, I mean, they that smoked was, them. It wasn't yeah, even close. It wasn't a, no. I it was mean, the best game of the year. Was that the best game you had this year? Far. I mean, BYU beat Utah. I mean, obviously Utah, we know, biggest rival. But, I mean, Utah, they finished 17-14 this year. BYU, which still they finished third in the Pac-12. That They're tied for that third. That conference is dog me. Can yeah. we be honest about that? that they, con- I can't believe they got two teams in the They got three year. teams in. Did they, they get three in? A- oh, ASU, Oregon, and UW. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, it's it's a joke. Yeah, I mean, Utah was a joke this year, but BYU, I mean, Yoli, that dunk he had, I think that was the play of the year, the dunk for BYU, that that dunk Yoli Childs had in that game. That was really the last game teams single-covered Yoli, and he, like, just shredded Utah. And after that, he kind of got double-teamed a lot more. It wasn't quite as effective. I mean, he's still that one of the top. That dunk was the last time I felt the spirit during a BYU sporting <laughs> event. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was palpable, that game. Like, I, tears were shed. I mean, it was, it, the spirit I was. I felt it burning was, in my bosom when that happened. Yeah, it was, it was strong. I mean, so that game, Utah State, I mean, at the game itself, we didn't know quite how good Utah State was going to be. But, I mean, yeah, we, there, that was a quad one win. Utah State finished top 30 in the net rankings. And then BYU beat UVU, another in-state team. So, I mean, uh, credit to Dave Rose. Even in his worst season at BYU ever, he still found a way to beat the top two, the two biggest BYU's rivals, uh, Utah and Utah State, which was awesome. So, I mean, that for me was number one. Um, I won't steal your Gavin Baxter thunder, Steve. So I'll let you kind of... Uh, uh, Gavin Baxter, slayer <laughs> of, of basketball cretins. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll just throw it to you now. I mean, um, yes, I mean, that was that. I mean, obviously, we know what Yoli did. He was incredible this year. I think he even did even better than last year. And TJ was nice to see TJ have a bounce back season after his freshman year. He was second team all conference last year. He didn't make a team this year. He really took that next step. He was awesome facilitator scored a lot more. So, I mean, those are the things I saw. I mean, yeah, but beat the in-state teams. I think that was the highlight of the year. Um, what about you, Steve? I'll let you seeing brother Baxter's praises for the next, for the next bit. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think you're right that from a team perspective, those wins were the best wins. I think that they also, um, you know, they looked pretty competitive against some good teams early on. Nevada, Houston, they were very competitive right up until the end. Houston ended up being a lot better than any of us thought that I they were we going like, to be. I remember we said Houston's going to be a bubble team, and Houston, 31 wins and a three seed. We were definitely wrong on that. They were Houston's legit. Yeah, they were very legit. Uh, they played... San Diego State pretty tight on the road. I thought that was that was pretty good. So I think those were all good things from a team perspective. Looking at the individual perspective, you mentioned Yoli kind of being incredible and consistent and basically a 20, 20 and 10 guaranteed for most of the year. That was great. TJ, I think it was great to see them finally commit to putting the ball in TJ's hands consistently. I think while he's been here, he's kind of always shared kind of that playmaking point guard responsibility, shared it for part of the year with Jashir this year and shared it with Jashir last year. Uh, Elijah Bryant also had the ball in his hands a lot last year. Um, but, you know, once the uh, the Jashir uh, situation went down halfway through the year, which we'll talk about in the things that didn't go so well, um, they really committed to putting the ball in TJ's hands and giving him the keys to the to the offense. And I think that is the situation in which TJ is, is best suited to thrive. And I think it's actually the best situation for BYU as this team is constructed to have TJ have his hands on the ball and have him uh, make plays for himself and for his teammates. So I thought that was that was a good development thinking about the future and TJ coming back as a senior next year because I think that's what he's going to have to do a lot of because I don't think he's going to have that much help. Um, but I think if you're also thinking about the future, I think the biggest thing was kind of the emergence of Gavin Baxter 
uh, and Connor Harding. They kind of, if you think about those two freshmen, you know, both coming right back off missions, they had kind of opposite trajectories, right? Connor Harding started really strong um, and played really well in the non-conference. And then as kind of conference play came, uh, wore on, he kind of wore down, right? And he was, he, he had a few games here and there, but he wasn't making as much of an impact as he was early in the season. Whereas Gavin Baxter kind of had the opposite, right? He didn't even play for like the longest time, or at least not any real significant minutes, which I think is probably a thing that didn't go so well this year. I think they probably could have found a way to work him in earlier and give him more opportunities and maybe accelerated his growth. But maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he just wasn't ready. But when he was ready, when we de- when he got into conference play and he finally had the opportunities uh, and he started and he had those great games against LMU and, you know, there's several after that, um, he showed us kind of what, why he was, you know, a big recruit, why he was a top 100 recruit, why people talk about his athleticism, why that's such a huge deal to have a guy like that at BYU that we've never really had um, with that type of athleticism before. Um, And I think that's, you know, what we saw from him is so crucial for this program going forward because we do have both those guys for the next three years and they're going to be huge pieces because, as we'll talk about when we get to the next section, there's not a lot else in the pipeline in terms of recruits. There's no big recruits out on the out on the on the horizon. They're gonna say, "Oh, this those are gonna be the people who who are gonna save us." It, these these are the guys. It's Baxter. It's Harding. There's maybe a few other guys. Just but once yeah. the one yeah once we turn the once we turn the page on the TJ Haas, Nick Emery era, um, and I assume the Yoli era is, is already done, um, these will be the guys who are the next iteration of BYU basketball. I think the next iteration of BYU basketball probably looks a lot different than what we've expected in the past. We may have a different coach at some point. Um, I think the expectations may have to be a little bit different for a while. Um, but it was nice to see those guys kind of acquit themselves well um, and and show the the kind of the, uh, some flashes. It wasn't consistent, as it, it rarely is with freshmen, but show some flashes of, of what they can be. And I think they have the potential to be really special players. Um, obviously, it's this is a team game, and it's going to matter on who's around them and how they develop, which has not been a strong point of BYU basketball in recent years. Um, but I think it was, if you're going to take anything hopeful about the future out of this year, I would say there's not a lot. But if you are going to take anything, I think that's the thing that I would I would take away. Um, Phil, did you have anything else that you saw as, as good this year? Is that Did Rafi and I cover it? Uh, you guys covered a lot of it. I just want to touch up on just probably one or two more individual performances. Uh, I was really impressed with how McKay Cannon kind of stepped up and became the defensive stopper, you know, among the guards and proved us wrong, Steve. He, yeah. Yeah. We, we crapped we, on we McKay Cannon him, for we, weeks, yeah, man. We crapped on oh, him. Oh yeah. We, <laughs> we, <laughs> we kept going a few weeks after he started really actually proving us wrong too. But um, he became someone that we could put against the other team's best guard and, you know, really trust him to hold them down to manageable statistics so we could have a chance. Um, and then I think Zach Selius has really found a home coming off the bench. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all, but, you know, we see his freshman year when he really excelled, he was coming off the bench. And after his mission, we kind of put him into the, the starting five and it always felt weird for him to be out there. He never really fit in. He didn't really succeed. But as soon as we kind of 
put him on the bench and let him come off and be the sixth man, he really started improving. Um, not only his shooting, but he also he was doing a lot more this year. Um, he was getting a lot of rebounds, which is not something he was known for. And he really expanded his game, and I was really impressed with um, how he was able to impact the game outside of just shooting. So I think that's a good thing that we can take moving forward into next season. Yeah, I think that was something we talked about a lot uh, kind of early on, right? Was if if Zach doesn't shoot well, can you play him? And the answer ended up being, yeah. Yeah, he figured out how to make himself valuable if he didn't shoot the ball well. And I think that was a great, a great sign from Zach. One other thing I would say is, you know, overall, if we're looking at the team, offensive, we'll talk about the defense, which was a disaster, but the offensive efficiency actually really improved for BYU this year from last year. And last year, they weren't particularly good offensively, which is really weird for uh, a BYU team, which is, you know, always playing, historically has played up-tempo, been really good offensively, bad defensively. Last year was kind of reverse. Uh, This year, they shot from kind of 110, ranked 110th in in the country in in offensive efficiency per per Ken Palm. Uh, And this year, they were 45th. So still not great. I mean, top 50 is not bad, but it's not like, you know, up in the top 25 where BYU used to be every year. But it was an improvement. And so overall, I think there was some problem spots which i guess we can get to uh about kind of problematic areas of the of the where the offense wasn't as good but overall it was actually the statistics would say it was more efficient and they were able to to score easier but i guess that's a good uh a good segue maybe to the what was not so good this year uh robbie obviously we know that the outside shooting was very bad (laughs) yeah i mean what was not good i think a lot of the not good is more about what stems from the program as a whole, which we'll get to in a little bit. So I won't touch as much that right now. So I'll talk about more micro things related to this season. So yeah, you mentioned the shooting as a whole. I mean, inside the ArcBio is really good because they had Yoli. He took obviously the the lion's share of the shots. But I mean, three-point shooting, not only offensively, but defensively. And it was horrendous. Definitely the worst in the Dave Rose era. I mean... Shooting-wise, I mean, offensively, Bowie shot 33% from the three, which is 250th in the nation. And then defensively, Bowie's even worse at defending the three. I think defense has shot an average of 36% from three, which is 288th nationally. So, I mean, I mean, especially the way basketball is played today, the three-point line is as important as ever. And Bowie was as, the worst it's ever been in the Dave Rose era. Probably one of the worst it's ever been. So, I mean... BYU is absolutely atrocious there. So if you want to point to X's and O's, I mean, that's probably the number one thing. Just BYU couldn't shoot the three. And with BYU's two best wins of the year, Utah State and St. Mary's, they both they shot well from three both games. And uh, throughout there, they're just, I mean, inconsistent would be a nice way to put it. I mean, I wish BYU was even inconsistent because they were just bad most of the year. It wasn't like, oh, good night, bad night, good night, bad night. It was like four bad nights and then maybe a decent night. So, I mean, yeah, three. so you're telling me, hold on, you're telling me that if you make the shots that are worth more points than the other shots and you make them more often than you win. I, I was researching a couple nights ago, Steve, and I found out if you make more the shots that are worth more points, that's better. So uh, I think wow. I think that that's a that's a good hypothesis. We should pass this along. Somebody somebody in Provo should hear this. Yeah, I'm gonna pass it along to the basketball guys. See if they can implement it next year because I think it's a really they good should, strategy. They should really try to make more of those shots. I guess they probably weren't trying. That's probably why it didn't happen. They just forgot. Yeah, they're gonna listen to this podcast. I'm gonna tell them to try. I think that'll be really good for next year and that get us to the final four. 
But uh, yeah, for sure. If they just if they just decide to do it, it'll happen. Yeah, yeah. Just put your mind to it. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, oh man, what else? I mean, oh, we have an hour, Steve, to talk about what else is bad this year, and then three hours to talk about what's bad <laughs> with the program. I mean, depth was sure. Yeah, yeah people. No, people got nowhere to go. There's no more games. Yeah. you know, people got a whole summer to listen yeah, to this. this they could this is, really just dive yeah, in. Yeah, twenty hours. This will this will uh, put you till next season. But uh, I mean, yeah, man, just. This season itself, I mean, depth was bad. I mean, you had TJ and Yoli, but I mean, just here at the beginning of the year, he was getting points. But I think this team was maybe arguably better without just here. But I mean, yeah, outside of TJ and Yoli, there was nobody that was consistently scoring. And that, I mean, teams, they could really lock out on those two. And it really put BYU's offense in a bind. I mean, speaking of just here, that whole situation was handled poorly. I mean, I think just here could handle it. It was a mess. Was. There's no other way to put that. It was a mess. And honestly, it's, it's really. Think about Billy's basketball program. Think of the last guys that come through that have been non-LDS and have been African-American. I mean, last year, so Jashir's gone. He's transferred. Last year, Kajon Brown, he only was here for a semester, and then he dipped. Frank Bartley, same same thing. He left early and dipped. Um, I'm trying to think. And became a really good player. Yeah, actually. he was elsewhere. All-conference sun, to Continuing sun, sun a trend. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm blank on other guys, not LDS, African-American I guys. I mean, the last one before that was probably Anson Winder. Yeah, he did stay he's, all, four he's years stayed all the years. Experience. So let's be fair there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Anson Winder was awesome. But I mean, yeah, BYU just, the, the situation was handled really poorly. I think part of it, Dave Rose, he's been, the. I talked to former players too that left the program. And one of the, the main reasons they leave the program, and this is kind of getting to the more macro things, the problems with the program, but there's disconnect between the coaching staff and the players. Uh, I talked to one guy. He's a different program right now. He said it's totally night and day. His relationship with the head coach than his relationship with Dave Rose. So off the court, maybe Dave Rose will come to a um, to like your wedding reception or something, but you never hear from him. But he says his current coach now, his current program. He's always like just asking how he's doing his life, checking up on him, really engaged, really cares about him individually. He said the way Dave Rose does not feel that way about his players. Just I think Dave Rose used to. I think he's checked out a lot. So, I mean, there's just a disconnect between the head coach and the players. I mean, I think that affects the chemistry, that affects the trust you have in your coach, the way your their coach, when he has, has a game plan, he tells you to do stuff, that affects the game plan. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, I'll pass off to you guys before you can talk about more things individual. But, I mean, there's a lot of just – it's mostly macro stuff that's wrong with this pro- big picture stuff that's wrong with the program. I and mean, we talk about all this individual stuff, but it's more big picture stuff, I think which is really killing the program. Yeah, we can dive into all that. I think that the depth point that you made is is huge. There's only two players who score more than 10 points per game yeah. for this team. Um, and for a team that scores a lot of points, that's kind of weird. Um, the only person who's even close to scoring 10 points per game was just your hard night who quit the team halfway through the year. Um, yeah. So that wasn't great. Uh, I think the defense, you know, I touched on it before the defense was horrendous. Uh, it actually went, they were 54th in the country last year in defense, which is actually the best that BYU had been in several years. Not as good as they'd been, you know, early in Dave Rose's tenure, they were actually a very good defensive team, which everybody forgets about. Um, but they were 54th last year in, in defensive efficiency in Kempom. 164th this year, so dropped more than 100 spots. Um, 
And that was just, it was just, it was awful. And there were games when they were actually good. There were games when they were locked in and they played well and the, and they won those games. But the rest of the time, it's just like, you know, it's bad habits. It's lazy closeouts. It's being in the wrong places. It's not doing the little things. It's not a scheme problem. It's not an athleticism problem. Yes, they're, they have some more athleticism challenges than other teams. But, but Wisconsin that plays for, great defense. It's been that way for 60 years at BYU. <laughs> this this right. probably and they more used ath- to be a good defensive team. This team is probably more athletic than ever with Yoli and Gavin Baxter. They named me 10 more players in BYU history more athletic than them. Yeah, no, that's true. It's true. And, you know, there are lots of teams that don't have a ton of great athletes that play great defense. And BYU used to be one of those teams. It's just the mentality, the mindset, the doing the little things, the the fundamentals, they it just not there. And it hasn't been there for several years. It was there last year again, because Heath Schreier was, you know, threatening to kill people uh, <laughs> if, if people missed like box outs and stuff. But uh, it, Heath Schreier was not there this year and it was bad. It was really bad. And they, they could do it for a game, maybe two games. And then the wheels just fell off. And that was a huge, huge problem. And I think just generally the team is, they're just mentally and emotionally weak. Um, and I don't, that's maybe painting with too broad a brush, but I felt like this is a team and you saw this really in that San Diego game, which we won't talk about specifically. May it, you know, never darken the, our, the corners of our minds ever again, but that last San Diego game and Dave Rose talked about this after the game, you could see when they got, when, you know, they, they weren't ready to play, right. They were not locked in. They got down early quickly. Um, and then they just kind of hung their heads and it was, it was kind of over at that point. It was all over, but the, you know, the beating, <laughs> um, yeah. and it was a beating. And so it's just, it felt like that was a microcosm of the entire season. They were just easily thrown off their game. There was no consistency for a team that Dave Rose and the coaching staff talked about how much they liked each other and enjoyed each other and how like a tight a group they were in the locker room. It didn't seem like they really was any cohesion on the court. Um, we had the whole Jashir crisis in the middle of the year, which was, I think, emblematic of a lot of these things. Um, it was, it was just not, it just felt like they, oh, they'd overreact when things got bad. Uh, they were overly emotional. They did not have a steady hand at the wheel. And I just, I don't, I don't know how that changes, but it, it, it needs to, because the teams that are really good, they weather the bad times, they keep their head up, they stay together, they play together and they get through it. I didn't think that BYU ever really figured out how to do that this year. Um, and maybe some of it's, you know, the disconnect with the coaching staff, like you talked about, maybe that plays a part in it. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, overall, it was just a really tough year and it kind of hallmarked by some really, really tough losses. I mean, you had kind of your bad close losses that they should have won. The Illinois State game in overtime, the UNLV game in overtime. Both of those teams were not that good and would have been big wins for BYU. I mean, if you think about it, when BYU played the home game against USF, which they choked, right, which was obviously horribly painful, but that was essentially the game for the second seed in the in the conference tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, if at that point, if they had won those two games and maybe one other in non-conference, like they would have maybe been on like the the NCAA bubble, right? Um, it's entirely like at least closer to the conversation. And if they, you know, beat San Francisco and don't fall apart, you know, they they really are in good shape. 
but those games early just sapped, sapped the momentum of the, and it was a tough non-conference schedule. They did schedule. So kudos to Dave Rose. They went out there, they were ambitious. They scheduled tough. Um, and next year is even tougher, but, uh, those like early losses and games that they should have won and kind of heartbreakers really sapped the momentum. And then ultimately just kind of gave way to a bunch of embarrassing, there's no other word for it. It's embarrassing way. Like they were blown out. They were blown by 20 plus points. Like how mm-hmm. many times this year, four or five times this year, at yeah, St. Mary's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, five times at St. Mary's, twice by Gonzaga, at San Francisco, at Mississippi State, and then of course we saw what happened in, in the tournament against against San Diego, and then you had the Weber loss, which was just inexplicable. So it was just a lot of, you know, every, it seemed like for every step forward, it was like two or three steps back. There's no consistency. There's no uh, just kind of mental strength as a unit as a team. Um, and just not, you know, they did, it's just not, it's not that they didn't have the horses. There's a lot of talent on this team. I don't think that it's been as developed, but you know, coming out of high school and they recruited these guys, these, there was a lot of highly ranked recruits on this team and they just, for whatever reason, have not been able to put it together. Yeah. And I guess one more quick note on that, um, about the, uh, I, forget, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, Phil, do you have anything to add on that? I guess about uh, anything not good this season. I guess before we move on to just more macro stuff and look at the next season. Yeah, um, and this can kind of transition into those macro problems that we're talking about. Um, and this is something that I've I've kind of been sitting on for a while this season, and it's just the the concept of the player development and talent development on this team and just what feels like a complete lack of it, you know, other than Yoli, who obviously has developed his talent over he's like over his time here at BYU. And, you know, TJ, even he's improved a lot, although he's still doing a lot of the same things he did as a freshman and a sophomore. He's just doing them kind of in a more, um, he's just better, but it's still, he's still doing the same things. Um, and, you know, we we talked about Zach Selyus, who kind of improved on rebounding and defense and other parts of his game. But other than those three, it felt like the talent development was just non-existent this year. Um, we can talk about Nick Emery, who just was a shell of himself, and he never got better as the season progressed. Um, and the K Cannon was kind of, you know, the same thing he's always been. Luke Worthington is the same thing he's always been while he's been at BYU. Um, and so really, other than Yoli and TJ and a little bit of Zach Selyus, no other player demonstrated that they had gotten better from last year. And, you know, that kind of leads into the macro problems of, you know, the coaching staff and player development and how are they going to do that. And that was just, you know, it, it was bad this year. And we just have to hope that they're going to figure out a way this offseason to improve their development. Yeah, it's 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 it is a perfect segue because, you know, how does where do we go? Where are we and how are we going from here? This is obviously a bad season. I don't know that there's I don't know where the improvement comes from. We can talk about ideas for where that comes. But I think, Robbie, you and I both think that things probably get worse before they get better. Yeah, I agree. And I guess I guess starting first next season itself before we transition to maybe two, three whatever years down the road. So I guess looking at next season, um, I think Yoli's, 
Yoel is very likely to leave. I'd, I'd be very surprised if he came back. I would be yeah. shocked if he came I was, back. And it's just another thing, too. I mean, he's. I think he has a better chance to get drafted than Elijah or Eric Mika. I mean, I saw him. I've seen it. have seen him at least kind of mentioned, at least, as a late second-round pick, which is better than you can see for, say for those other two guys, just since Yoli, he's younger than both those other guys were. But, I mean... He's probably not going to get drafted. So, I mean, that's three years in a row. You're going to have your best guy leave early. That's really not going to sniff the NBA at all. So, I mean, and that's pretty rare for any program. I mean, obviously, it's common for your top players to leave and then go on to the NBA. But three years in a row, if you're a top player to leave, I mean, that's that's telling you that they don't trust the development at BYU to get him to the next step. They'd rather leave and go get paid somewhere else because they don't believe they could get better at all at BYU. I mean, and that's a problem that just speaks to what they think of the program and the development of the program. So I mean, I'd be very surprised if Yoli came back. I mean, maybe if there was a coaching change and say a guy like Mark Madsen or, or, um, or Pope came in, guys who have, who have developed big guys, maybe that makes them kind of think, Hey, maybe I will come back for one more year. And then transfers. Um, I think we see at least one guy leave. I, I think Ryland Bergerson, I could definitely see him leaving, um, I think he's kind of he's played two years. I think it's hard for him to see getting more playing time next year. So I mean, I don't think there's any hard feelings there, but I, I think he would leave. <clears throat> and the new faces, I mean, you have some intrigue. We already know just your heart's yeah, gone. Cheers too, gone. Right? And then um, new faces, I mean, you have Bernardo da Silva, which I really like his potential. I think he's a lot like Gavin Baxter, but I mean, he's not nearly as polished as Gavin Baxter was coming into the year. So I think he's still like a year away from being a year away, ready to contribute. And then <laughs> Bruno Caboclo. Yeah. And then you got Shang Zee Lee, which I think, I think he's Luke Worthington with a little bit more offensive polish. So I mean, take that for what you will. And then you got <laughs> Trevor Nil, which I think who, who was a Cal commit before his mission. I think, I think he's a guy, he's going to be a solid starter. He's not a game changing program, but I can see He's a shooter, yeah. man. That guy can throw it up. I mean, but he did. I don't know if he does anything else, but he yeah, can shoot so I could see him by his sophomore year. He, he, I think he's kind of like a Mike Rose type of guy, maybe like a Jimmy Ballerson kind of that mold, just a solid BYU guy that could shoot the ball. BYU needs more of those guys, but his junior, sophomore, junior, he's going to start. And then Colby Leeson, I mean, I have a hard time seeing him maybe getting us. I don't know if there's going to be a scholarship left for him. So who knows if he comes back? So, I mean, that's what you got coming back. And then you hope for the development. I mean, yeah, I think. Gavin Baxter definitely takes the next leap. I think he's going to be really special. I think he's going to be an all-conference type player next year. I think Connor Harding takes the next step. Maybe not all-conference caliber type of player, but maybe he can take that next step. And then who knows where Nick Emery is going to be at. And I think it's going to be really fun to see TJ with the keys handed him in the offense. I think he could do a lot of fun things. We're going to see like Lone Peak TJ. He's going to be pulling up a lot. He's going to be creating things. But I mean... I mean, if you have, if Yoli came back, I think this could be a really good team. We think it would, could be the potential to make the tournament, especially the schedule. So, I mean, the schedule, I mean, on one hand, it's awesome. It's really exciting to see a challenging schedule. I mean, just look at some of these teams. You got the Maui Invitational, which Kansas is going to be there. Michigan State's going to be there. UCLA is going to be there. Georgia, Dayton, Virginia Tech. So, really good teams. And you got to play at Houston, who's a three seed. You know, Nevada's coming to the Marriott Center. They're a seven seed. Utah State's, that's in Salt Lake. Then you have to play at Utah, and then you got San Diego State, you know, the Weber States. I mean, that's a challenging non-conference schedule. You can make a lot of statement wins, but at the same time, with knowing, I mean, the, the, the trajectory of the program, that could be a, a season kids be going to get five hundred. Yeah, that's a so, lot. I of, mean, that, that's a lot of statement losses. I think. Yeah, 
There's only statement wins if you <laughs> yeah, win. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I'd rather have BYU have that schedule to at least have the opportunities. So I mean, if Yoli did come back, I think that's you could like make a lot of statement wins. But I mean, yikes! It, it could. Yoli's not yeah, coming hey, back. It's not. Last year, I thought for sure he was gone when Lee Kamard was hired, but it happened. I so I mean, I'm pretty darn sure he's back. The only reason I say. Maybe if like if there was a head coaching change, Steve, like if Mark Madsen came in, I really think that would make Gilly Childs like, okay, well, Mark Madsen, he played development guy for the Lakers for six years. Like, okay, I'll stick around for one more year. Maybe I could get a second round draft pick. Um, but I mean, I don't see, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that there will be a coaching change if Yoli decides he's coming yeah. back. So I think it's kind of a chicken and yeah. egg thing. Uh, it's kind of like Jimmy Chitwood in, in Hoosiers when he gets up in front of the town right after they fired the coach and he's like, stays, coach stays, stay. I yeah, play, yeah. coach goes, yeah, I go. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Yeah. But I think, I don't think that, I think if Yoli is coming back, Rose isn't going to step away. He gives a one if, more run probably. But I don't, but, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think that, I don't know. It's there. There's a lot of problems, and we've talked about it. none of these are super surprising. But there's a lot of problems that this program faces, and I don't know how many of them can actually be solved. Like you mentioned, we're kind of in the we're in the middle of the second longest tournament drought since the 1970s. Um, we missed five straight NCAA tournaments from 1996 to 2000. What are we at? Four now. Yep, in the four in a row. Four, five, four, four, and eight, four in a row. No NCAA, no NCAA tournament. I don't foresee that changing next year. Or the year, year after. Um, or the year after. <laughs> or maybe the year after. It's going to be a bit. Um, we talked about talent retention and development. We've seen a lot of transfers that go out the door who have become good players elsewhere. Um, I don't know if they become the same type of player if they stay at BYU because we haven't been able to really develop anybody. The only people who have been right. developed are the people who have developed quick, themselves. Talent um, retention, Steve. Just imagine if BYU is able to keep these players. So imagine this year you had TJ at point guard, Elijah Bryant at shooting guard, then you used Nick Emery if he if you still stuck around, then you had the front court, you have Eric Mika, Yoli Childs, and off the bench, you bring off whack player of the year, Jake Toulson, Jordan Chapman, and then you offer um, Sam Merrill scholarship. I mean, if you have those eight guys, I mean, it, it could have happened, but I mean, just BYU didn't develop the players. They didn't think, I mean, guys just left. So, I mean, all those players were in the pipeline, but they're all gone except for TJ and Yoli. They stuck around and Yoli's about to be gone. Yeah, and the and the pipeline is dry, like you said. There's no big name recruit that's committed that's out on the on the horizon that's going to come in and save us. You know, BYU's chasing some big fish. They're probably going to strike out on all the big fish. Caleb Lohner from Wasatch Academy, plus all the other Wasatch Academy guys. They kind of have an entree there that they haven't had before. The problem is they've opened this entree to Wasatch Academy and all the talent that's there at the time when they're as unappealing as they've maybe ever been as a program Mm -hmm. nobody none of those really great players wants to come and play at BYU with all the restrictions and lifestyle that comes with it if the team's not actually good um and so there's just there's just nothing out there on the in the in terms of like 2020 2021 kids that are coming down the pipe and the kids who are here are we going to be able to develop them are we going to be able to keep them around because we've talked about the lack of a relationship with the coaching staff it's just a real challenge which i kind of as obviously if you've been as part of the online conversation about this the the question all year has been you know does dave rose need to go is it time right obviously 
we here have talked a lot about, we respect everything he's done for the program. He's been an incredible coach. He's probably the most successful coach uh, in program history. And that counts for a lot and it should. Um, and we should all respect what he's done with this program because it wouldn't have had a lot of the great things that have happened to over the last 15 years without Dave Rose. But good things don't end unless they end badly <laughs> a lot of times. Um, and, you know, is this the, does this need to be the end of the Dave Rose era? It's, I think that's the question on a lot of people. Yeah, I, mean, I have a lot of thoughts with this. I think kind of the beginning of the end for the Dave Rose era began in 2011 after Jimmer left. Cause in 2011, you think about what happened that you're recruiting wise 2011. That's when Nick Emery, TJ Haas and Eric, Eric Mika, in 2011, after Jimmer graduated, they all committed to BYU. So, I mean, you just think about it, you're coming off this big, I mean, this big national wave of attention to the BYU program. Tons of excitement infused into the program. Football was down a little bit. So, I mean, there's a lot of excitement around the basketball program. And then you get these three huge recruits. So, I mean, I'm sure in Dave Rose's mind, it's like, man, things are going good. I just went to the Sweet 16. I have three top 100 recruits about to come in. I mean, and especially in 2013, they won the national title. I think Dave Rose, I think the Lone Peak 3 should have been the best thing that happened to BYU because it could have it could have been the thing that pushed BYU to even the next level. Okay, BYU got a Sweet 16. Maybe BYU gets an Elite 8. Maybe they all stay there, stay their senior year. BYU commits, competes with the Gonzaga, gets, maybe could get to a Final Four by their senior year, which would have been this year. So, I mean, I think Dave Rose, I think you see, you saw that and you're like, man, there's so many good things. I think Dave Rose got a little bit complacent. He saw all those, that talent in the program. I think he got caught up a little bit in the excitement. I think he took his foot off the gas pedal because I mean, you saw the way he used to recruit. I mean, he went back east to New York. He would wait in the rain for Jimmer when Jimmer was at practice to get Jimmer to come back out west to BYU. And I think part of it, a lot of it was the camp was his cancer. I mean, I mean, I, very understandable once you have once you're on the the change yeah, your perspective when you're on your deathbed i mean i think your life perspective change and very understandably so i think his perspective changed a little bit i don't think he recruited quite as hard i don't think he coached developed quite as hard so i mean i totally understand dave where, he, where he's coming from from that but i mean because of that i mean there wasn't as much connection with the players. There wasn't as much development coaching going on. So, I mean, all this talent was out there. We saw some of these big recruits, BYU got, I mean, there was, I mean, Yoli Childs was a four-star recruit. I mean, he developed really well. I mean, there was all these big recruits, but the, the gas pedal, the foot was taken off the gas pedal and the development and the coaching and the cohesion side was really let off because of that. So I think he saw all this talent coming in, took his foot off the gas pedal a little bit. I mean, BYU is not a program that can run an autopilot. It's not a program like Duke. It's like you just put a pound in recruits and you know you're going to go to the, you're gonna go to the final four every other year. So I think a lot of complacency became of that. I mean, that affected the chemistry a lot. That's why a lot of players transferred because they just didn't feel that connection to Dave Rose. They didn't feel like it was a place where they could develop. That's why you see all these great players. They left and they excelled at other places they went or they left early to Europe. So, so to answer that, all that to in thinking about all that, David Dave Rose is the best coach in BYU history, but I think it is time for a change. I think Dave Rose, he's never going to get fired, but I think Tom Homo needs to have a conversation with him and gently nudge him out the door. have Dave Rose retire just because I mean, BYU's not, not going places with, with Dave Rose. I mean, they're in the second longest drought, like you mentioned in the program's history since the seventies, it's time for a new, 
for a new face. It's good, like you said, it's going to be worse before it gets better. Just because after TJ leaves, I mean, you, your core is going to be this next year's sophomores and be Jesse Wade, Connor Harding, Gavin Baxter. Those are the, be the core for the next three years. And after that, there's nobody else in the pipeline. I mean, unless so. Yeah, I think Dave Rowe needs to go. You need to start a new era, a new excitement, build something, build a new culture around the program that you could really build on. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, if this, I, I, I don't know that, obviously Dave Rose got an extension earlier mm-hmm. this year. Um, oftentimes those are kind of pro forma extensions to help folks recruit and be viable in recruiting, be able to tell recruits you're going to be here for at least a couple of years, yada, yada, yada. This could be the, this could be the end of the Dave Rose era. It's not out of yeah. the question. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he walked away now and just retired. I think this year, from folks that I've talked to, this year was pretty hard. Uh, on him. I think some things changed. His perspective changed. I don't know if, you know, Dave Rose at the end of the day, Dave Rose is a competitor. I don't know if he's going to be able to walk away with the bad taste in his mouth that that San Diego game was and just going out missing all postseason action. But, you know, maybe, maybe the, like you said, the perspective has changed. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's, maybe he's just done. Maybe this year yeah. really took something out of him. I think he goes, year. I think um, he goes full year. court press. I think he does everything he can to bring Goli back. And I think, I think if he gets Yoli back, I think he runs it out one more year for sure. It's like, okay, this is a talented team that can get to the NCAA tournament with the schedule. But, I mean, I think one year at most, I think, or then he'll walk away. But, yeah, I think full court press, get Yoli back. Maybe I think he'll go after a grad transfer, Juco transfer, one more big, and then just go all in for one more year. Yeah, but I – Yeah, it's real tough. You know, the problem is that the taste is only going to get worse as we've discussed. You know, there's – it's going to get worse before it gets better. And, you know, is this the time for Dave Rose to, you know, quote unquote, jump the ship? Because, you know, who's to say if he doesn't get Yoli next season is going to be worse than this season. That's a fact. And maybe it's better to leave now than to go down with the ship and at least have some semblance of, you know, gratitude from the fans and before it gets really, really bad. Yeah, it's always better to leave of your own volition rather than to leave when they make you, um, in my opinion. And I think you're right, Phil, that you know next year, there's no guarantee that next year leaves a better taste in your mouth than this year. Um, and I think your point, Robbie, about you know Yoli, if Yoli stays, maybe it changes some calculus there. I think Yoli's gone uh, from everybody that I've talked to who's close to him. Uh, nothing has really changed on that front. I think he's expecting to mm-hmm. go try and test the waters. Uh, and make it in the drafts. And if not, you know, take what's next. But, uh, you know, it's, this is a fundamental moment. I, I don't know that we'll get an answer on what's kind of what's next, if Dave's going to stick around or not for maybe for a little bit. Um, I think there's some things that need to play out. I think, you know, it'll be real interesting because if BYU, he's been, he's been the head coach of BYU for what, 15 yeah, years. I mean, he, he was my first, yeah, my first year at BYU as a freshman was his first old year Steve. as a head coach. And I remember... Yeah, my first yeah, year was Jimmer's senior year, so um, I started off. It was all downhill all right, from there. <laughs> You're just children yeah. on this podcast. Um, but I remember the sense of, you know, this was right after Cleveland. He'd had a couple good years, but the last year of Cleveland was really down. Um, and I just remember the sense of, there's a sense of optimism and possibility that only kind of a big change in the pro, like changing a coach can really bring. Um, and I think that's, 
you know, we talked about the really intractable problems and these are not new problems. They didn't crop up overnight. This isn't just a one time bad season. These are things that have been building for years and it's been a slow downward trajectory. And now we've just kind of hit the lowest point so far. Um, and this program needs to fundamentally and significantly change the trajectory uh, of the program. And the, I think the only way you can do that, do all due respect to Dave Rose and everything that he's done, but the only way you can fundamentally alter that trajectory is to make a big, big change and to instill. Because, I mean, think about it from a recruiting standpoint. You can't win games unless you get players mm-hmm. in the door good players and what Dave Rose has nothing to sell to these good players. He's going out and recruiting to his, to his, you know, credit he's getting in front of good guys. Um, but he, what does he have to sell them? Come and play for my program that is bad and will probably continue to be bad. And I, you don't know how long I'm going to be there. And Oh, by the way, it's at a Mormon school and maybe you're not Mormon when we've got a lot of rules and it's really academically it's selective. Like it's, <laughs> it's not <laughs> a great pitch. And so in order to go to those, yeah, in order to go to those guys and be able to, you have to sell when you're, you're selling, you're selling high schoolers, you have to sell them on the possibility of what you're building. And Dave Rose can't sell anybody on the aspirational vision of what he's going to build because nobody knows how long he's going to be there. They know this is the end of the road and the end of the road hasn't looked good. Um, and so you have to be able to sell people on a vision and you have to of like what you're building as a program and make them want to be a part of that. And you have to sell them on their vision, how you can help them achieve their goals. And of course, all these kids, they all want to go play at the next level and whether or not, yeah, they're not all going to play at the NBA, but they want to know that they at least have the best chance they can have to achieve whatever their dreams are in basketball. And yeah, there's off the court stuff that matters too. And that's very true. But you're ultimately, these guys are making this on a basketball decision a lot of the time, Um, especially the really good ones. And Dave can't make that sell. And there are a couple guys who are out there. BYU doesn't have a huge candidate pool uh, to pull from just because of the nature of the institution and the rules that are in place about who can and can't be the head coach at BYU. There's maybe about- It's like five or six realistic guys. Five or six realistic guys who can be in charge of this program. And there are some of those guys who can make a way, a way more effective sell um, than Dave Rose does. But we can't, they can't make that sell unless they have the yeah. job. And so the, the, realistically, the longer that Dave stays and the long and, and he's, you know, he's the greatest in program history and he has the right to quit when he wants to quit. I think he's earned that. But we need to realize that the longer he stays, and I think the writing's on the wall and maybe he realizes it. The longer he stays, the longer this period continues because this, the pipeline just continues to atrophy. You're not getting new talent into the into the program. You're not changing. You're not pivoting. You're not changing the narrative about the program. You're not pivoting to a new vision that you can sell the recruits. And that just that that adds up. And this fallow period becomes longer and longer and longer. If you make a change now. You, there's a chance that you can you can turn it around in a couple of years if you get if you make the right hire and they have to make the right hire. And I, th- I would argue they have to think they have to think outside the box, which BYU is yeah, not great not at very doing. Synonymous but they have they BYU and outside the box, <laughs> right? Yeah, but they have to take. This is the time to take a swing. This is maybe the worst the program's been in, in a very long time. I mean, it's not like one in twenty five year or whatever. But you know, this is the this is this is a low point for the program. And in, in order to make the change and, and, and to get significant results, I think they have to take a little bit of risk and they have to swing for, they have maybe have to swing for the fences and maybe you hit a home run or maybe you strike out, but at least you took the shot. Um, 
and I just I, I don't know when they're going to get the opportunity yeah, at the it's, plate. It's, uh, to yeah, it's something the Billy has to be proactive at because I mean the body. I hope the administration and like the AD, the athletic department sees that the floor. This isn't the floor. I mean things are going to get worse, and even with the new coach comes in, there's it's probably going to be kind of similar to football where maybe you have one good season and then kind of the bottom falls out. I could see the bottom. I don't think the bottom has fell out yet for the basketball program. I think the, the program, the bottom's still going to fall out. But I mean, like you said, a candidates, I mean, I, so I guess I'll touch on candidates real quick, Steve, I guess, before we wrap up. I mean, if there's, it is a coaching change in the next month or so, I think we'll obviously do another podcast and dive deep into these candidates. The top candidates, I think the average BYU fan, most people think of, of, uh, of Pope. I mean, he's obviously was a BYU assistant coach for a long time. He's done good things at UVU. I mean, I don't think as good as things as many fans would like to believe. Um, but I mean, he has had the t- the last two seasons have been the two most successful seasons in UVU history. Both the past two seasons, they finished the top 100 in Kempom. Um, he's done some good recruiting there. They have a four-star freshman kid who's the WAC Player of the Year that he brought in. And if Pope comes in, you know BYU would be, be very transfer-heavy, which I don't know could work at BYU with that. Except, I don't know if that actually yeah, works the thing for is, BYU. I mean, Pope did bring in Chase Fisher. Um, so, I mean, he has that. that He showed he brought Chase Fisher to BYU. But, I mean, with the academic requirements and just with the honor code, the type of guys Pope was bringing to UVU, those aren't the type of guys that would get into BYU just culturally. So, I mean, that's, that's, so, I, mean I think that's probably the, that's the safest option. He's just down the road, and BYU could easily um, give him a better salary than what he's getting. I think what we like most, Steve, um, is Mark Matson. Um, as people aren't familiar with Mark Madsen, he's going to need I a mean, job La- pretty soon. So right now he's the assistant coach for the LA Lakers. Um, he He's LDS. He served a mission in Spain. He played at Stanford in the early 2000s. Um, he was an assistant coach for a year at Stanford. He got his MBA at Stanford as well in between his right before he was an assistant coach. Um, and then he, the last since 2013, he's been an assistant coach focusing mainly on player development with the Lakers, which I mean, What's BYU's biggest problem? It's arguably player development, and I think you've touched on it, Steve. Mark Madsen, I think, I think he, it's the biggest risk reward because he's never been a head coach before. His he only he's only been at at the college level for one year. So I mean, there's always some risk built into that. Just it's, he's kind of more of an unknown. He hasn't really been much at the college level. But I think of any candidate BYU could realistically hire, unless you baptize Coach K and he comes to BYU. Um, I think Mark Madsen brings the highest ceiling into BYU. I mean, his recruiting pitch. I mean, he's he's worked. He's coached Kobe Bryant. He's coached LeBron. He's played with Kobe. He's developed guys like Kyle Kuzma. He's won two NBA titles as a player. I mean, he's been at the highest level. He knows what it takes to get to the highest level. He knows what it takes to get you to the NBA. That's a very compelling pitch that no coach at BYU has ever offered. See, he could come in recruiting wise. He could be a A plus recruiter with his de- player development background. He could be A plus. He could be A plus um, re- development guy. I think X's nose is a little over overblown for a coach. I mean, there's not many Brad Stevens out there, which make a huge difference. The X's and O's, and that it's about the Jimmys yeah. and the Joes, not the X's <laughs> and O's. Exactly, Robbie. you got to get the players into your program. And I mean, his wife's from Orem. I've she really, I think she, I've heard she wants to settle down in in Utah County. So I mean, I mean, the one thing is the biggest, hardest thing for BYU is first, will BYU think outside the box? Will BYU be bold enough to go after to make a good case for Mark Madsen, and then pay? I mean, he's been making good money in the NBA. I'm sure he'll 
if he wants, I mean, he he may be a guy that wants to stick in the NBA. He may not want to come to the college game. So I think pay is going to be a big thing. And then just Mark Madsen himself, you know, he's, he's probably going to be out of a job for the Lakers. It's like, hey, is he going to want to stay in the NBA or can BYU maybe convince him to come to Provo? So, I mean, there's those guys. And then real quick, I'll hit yeah. it off to you, Steve. There's Barrett Peary. He's group and Payson. He's the coach at Portland State. You got Alex Jensen, who played at Utah. He's the assistant coach of the Jazz. And then one guy, you got Jeff Judkins. I mean, he played in the NBA for a while. He's doing great things to the BYU women's basketball program. I think you got to at least throw his name in there, especially if he leads BYU in another run in the NCAA tournament. And then you got guys like Tim Lacombe and Quincy Lewis in the program. So, I mean, I'll let you add on that, Steve. I know you're a big Mark Madsen proponent. I'm probably a little bit higher on Pope than you are, though Mark Madsen would be my number one choice. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're being honest, if this happens, when it happens, it will happen at some point that Dave Rose will will step down. We don't know when that will be. The pool will be the same no matter when it happens. Uh, I think if it happens this year, you have a much better chance than Mark Madsen yeah. just because he'll be unemployed um, because the Lakers are going to fire all their coaches. Um, you know, I think that, you know, if we're being honest, they're probably going to hire Mark Pope because he's familiar. He worked at BYU. He has a good relationship with mm-hmm. the athletic department. Uh, Easy athletic to beat department his pay staff. Um Right. Easy to beat his pay. Probably don't have to pay him as much. Um, and you know what? They'd probably be fine. I actually think, here's my thing about Mark Pope. Mark Pope can't do anything that Dave Rose no. hasn't already done. Mark Pope recruits from the same recruiting base. He's actually probably a little bit worse off on the recruiting because he doesn't, he doesn't. have that great relationship with a lot of the grassroots basketball people and high school coaches in the state, which seems like a real problem for a coach. Um, but he's he's really a polarizing you either love him or you don't like him at all um and a lot of his players love him and that's great and i think that's something byu could use uh but he has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in the state um and so i just i I just don't know that there's any higher ceiling with pope than you already had with rose i mean i think i think that's uh, that's that's my issue with i I don't think he's done all that much at uvu i mean obviously i think they're better um which is which is great um but they still haven't figured out how to win the whack right? So they haven't figured out how to get to the NIT even. So it's not like he has some sterling coaching credentials to fall back on. And I don't think he's going to significantly change the quality of player that comes in the program. So that's where my, that's where my reticence with Pope comes in. I think that he's probably still the most likely person to get the job. I think most BYU fans would be happy with that, which is great because they know him and it's a familiar name. I think you're right. You made my pitch that I always make uh, about Madsen. I want the, I think he has the highest, the highest ceiling. He could strike out, right? He's the home run swing. You could, if you connect yeah. and he connects, it's a, you can, it could be a grand slam. It could take the program to a different level. Uh, yeah, we, but if you don't, Terry Porter and he misses, then it's been absolutely horrible. So, I mean, that's the floor, <laughs> right? It, it becomes a, it becomes a disaster, but you know, it's not much more of a disaster <laughs> yeah. than it is right now. Uh, but I think his ability to sit in a room and sit across from a kid and say, look, I played in the NBA for 10 years. I went to a final four at Stanford. I played in the NBA for 10 years. I won two rings. I played with Kobe. I played with Shaq. I played with KG. I coached Kobe. I coached LeBron. I spent the last 10 years developing NBA players. I know exactly what it takes to get there. I've done it before and I can do it for you. That's an incredible, come be a part of what we're building. I know we're not very good right now, but we're building something here and it's going to get you closer to your goals to be a part of it. That is what's a, a pitch that's exciting to an 18 year old kid who thinks that he has a feature in basketball. That's a, that's something you want to be a part of. And I think he's the type of, he has the type of personality and the background to succeed at BYU and to be the type of guy that 
really connects with kids and helps them believe that this is a thing that can happen for them. And I think nobody else, even Alex Jensen, who also has an NBA background, who can maybe make some of those same claims, I think less effectively than Madsen, just because of who he is and where he's been and what he's Mark been a Madsen part can, of. Mark Madsen can get Shaq on the phone. I mean, I want to find the exact quote, but Shaq was asked if anybody could slow him down. Like, not kidding. Shaq said the only person that could like kind of slow him down was Mark Madsen in practice. Like, I want to see the quote, see if there's context. Maybe it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But, I mean, Shaq and Kobe, they love Mark Madsen. So, I mean, he could get Shaq and Kobe on the phone for a recruiting pitch. Like, hey, like, get ready to recruit, talk to Shaq. Have Shaq come down to Provo. So, I mean, he has amazing connections at the NBA level. I mean, he could show his dance video from the 2001 NBA Finals. I mean, if that can't get you excited, <laughs> then... Uh, I that, mean, that's, that's the main why reason why I want him there. I, I want, want the, the dog. I want the celebration yeah, get dance. The that's dog. what I want. Yeah, get the I mad mean, dog. Mark Madsen is really the only thing that would get me excited about BYU basketball. Like honestly, Steve, would anything else? Unless BYU yeah. got like Caleb Lohner or like Maddie Sissoko or something. Like, is there anything else that could really realistically like make you like on it? Like, we'll always watch BYU basketball. But is there anything outside of realistically again Mark Madsen that would make you actually excited for the future of BYU basketball? No, I mean, I think that's, yeah. it's, it's the same problem. It's the same issue for fans as it is for recruits. You need to be able, you need to be sold on the possibility of something mm-hmm. great happening. And as currently constituted, there's, there's very hard to see any possibility of, of anything great happening, any change in the trajectory of the program. You need to have, you need to have somebody who could sell you on that. I think Mark Madsen is the person who can maybe do that most effectively and maybe it burns out and it's a giant disaster um, or maybe it's incredible, but I think people want, want to take the leap, right? They want to have Mm -hmm. the leap of faith. Um, And I don't know that he ends up getting the job. Maybe they don't, maybe he wants more money than they're willing to pay him. Maybe BYU is cheap. Maybe it's just easier and safer and, and the, everybody who makes decisions that just feels more comfortable with Pope. And you know what? It probably would be fine. I don't know that it really changes the direction direction of the program. He's going to be running the same offense because he's a Rose guy. He came off the Rose tree. He's going to be the same caliber of athlete. I just, it's just probably more of the same. Maybe it's a slow, you know, trajectory back upward eventually, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And we, we should probably wrap up, but I think that's going to be a real interesting thing to see what, what Dave Rose does this summer. Is he stick around? Does he, does he try and ride out the rest of this contract or does he try and ride off into the sunset with, you know, what, with the, with, with his legacy, you know, still mostly intact. Um, And then if, if he does ride off into the sunset, you know, what happens? What is the decision that's made? Because I think that's what it, it obviously shapes the next five to 10 years of, of the program at the very least. And it could totally, you know, shift. I've used the word trajectory a lot, but shifts the trajectory of where this program, where this program is headed. So it's going to be an interesting summer um, for that reason yeah. alone. Um, any last thoughts, Robbie or, or Phil, about this season before we before we sign off and, and, and banish it from our memories yeah, I'll, forever? I'll hand it off to you, Phil, before I guess I kind of wrap up. Yeah, um, I just want to give like a little bit of attention to the possibility of Jeff Judkins as the coach. You know, I agree. Mark Madsen's definitely the most exciting pick. Mark Pope's probably the 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 pick that will happen. Uh, but Jeff Judkins has done a lot of wonderful things with the women's basketball program here. Uh, you know, they made the postseason. They made the NCAA tournament in 14, 15, 16, the NIT in twenty seventeen. And they're back in as a seven seed. Um, and he's shown the ability to recruit, you know, people to BYU with the Shaley Gonzalez as a newcomer of the year this year. 
Um, and he may not be the most exciting pick, but he m- possibly could be kind of start a new tradition with the men's basketball program if he's willing to make that transition. Um, but that's just kind of my final thought heading into the offseason is uh, let's hope some changes happen, uh, even if, yeah. you know, good or bad, let's change something. Yeah. No, I think Judkins is interesting. I mean, BYU women's basketball team got to the second weekend again in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I mean that puts the pressure on Rose. Like, hey, you got this guy right next to you. He's doing great things. But uh, yeah, I think like you said, even if Rose sticks around for another year, BYU has to hire a quality assistant, someone in the Heath Schroyer or Mark Pope mold, someone that, I mean, you need someone that with on the bench next to Dave Rose that could, that has quality experience at other programs outside of, outside of BYU. So, I mean, that needs to happen if Dave Rose isn't gone. But, I mean, as far as wrapping up, I mean, I think we'll put a bow on this podcast and a bow on the season. Steve and Phil, I mean, it's been a, it's been a ride. I mean, <laughs> we started this podcast this year, um, the worst BYU basketball season in the past 14 years. So, I mean, Shout out to everyone that's stuck with us, listened. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have people listening. So thank you for for subscribing, for listening. I mean, we'll we'll definitely record during the off season. And obviously, if there's any coaching changes, or we'll probably have a check in episode after Yoli Childs leaves, and maybe and kind of other developments happen. But overall, it's been fun. I think for sure we'll be back again next year. All right, guys. Well, thank you to thank you to you, Robbie, for doing this with me. It was a it was a I would say it was a fun year, but I don't know how fun it was. Fun it was. to do it was this. Fun it doing this good. podcast. It was therapeutic. Uh, I'd say it was good. Yes, it was therapeutic. There was a lot. It was more therapeutic in terms of like ranting and getting out the anger and the disappointment um, rather than reveling in the successes, unfortunately, which is what we I think hoped it would be. Um, but it was, I'm glad that we did it. And then also thank you to Phil for, for keeping us, keeping the trains running on time and getting the episodes up and doing all the, all the stuff behind the scenes. It was a lot of fun. And and like Robbie said, thank you to, uh, thank you to all our listeners out there. Not that there's, you know, legions of you, but there's a, there's a small but committed band, uh, of you all. And this, that's why we do this. And it's been fun to hear from you guys, uh, on, on Twitter and social media, um, hear what you're thinking, uh, and, and get your questions and answer your questions. It's been, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a tough, obviously a tough time in the BYU basketball program. It's a tough time to be a fan of BYU athletics in general, I think. Um, but you know, I think, uh, you know, this is, even in the tough times, we we do this because we love our school, we love our teams, and we'll always be there. We'll be there through the thick and thin. So even though, you know, the night is <laughs> the night is dark and full of terrors, um, it is the, the the it's also you know as as they say in Batman, uh, the night is dark is just before the dawn. And I, I I don't know if the night is as dark as it's gonna be. It might be a few years of dark, a few more years of darkness before we get to the dawn. Um, but I guess know that we'll we'll be here with you. <laughs> we'll be here net right next to you, uh, supporting the Cougars, <sighs> just surviving the dark times. Also, always in hope that the dawn is on the horizon. That there's going to be better times because there, you know, historically there always have been, and we'll get there again. Uh, who knows how long? But we'll be there with you when the sun rises again. So until next time, and who knows when that will be. 
this is Steve Pierce, Robin McComb, Phil, Robin Combs, Phil Hyatt, signing off. Shut up and Jimmer one more time for this basketball season. Go Cougars.